All right, Charles McKay, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hello. I'm great. How are you doing? Oh, good. I'm just sitting in my truck doing my usual podcast routine. It's currently snowing here in central Alberta and it's, I don't know, minus 20. What's it? What's the weather like in BC? It's a beautiful day here. I'm also sitting in my truck staring at the mountains. Ugh. Nice clear sky. It's about five degrees here today so for me it's cold and I'm bundled up but <laughs> I'm a little bit of a wimp five degrees <laughs> compared to you guys oh my gosh I think I'd be wearing t-shirts and shorts at this point though we've had a really nice winter so we can't complain too much I'm sure you guys you always have a nice winter hey I literally was in my gym shorts running around town doing errands all day today so <laughs> yeah you can't complain too much Literally. Well, that's good. So let's just get right into it. I want to know, like, tell us about yourself. For those of you, for those that don't maybe know who you are, I want to know how you got into horses and, and into barrel racing. Yeah. So anyways, as you know, my name is uh, Charles McKay. I live in Chilliwack, British Columbia. I've uh, been a part of barrel racing, the barrel racing community out here for I don't know, 15, 20 years. Um, I got into horses, not traditionally. I didn't, uh, I wasn't born into horses. Um, I was raised by a single mom and, um, and my sister. And we just happened to have a small little piece of property. And my aunt and uncle were really big into horses. And my uncle is Lincoln Douglas. And he was a world professional chalk wagon driver. And my aunt, Sandy Douglas, is a barrel racer. My aunt got my sister into barrel racing, and I followed suit a couple years behind my sister. And, yeah, I never really looked back. It's kind of funny. My, my first horse, my mom traded the neighbor a case of beer for this, <laughs> like, 30-year-old old nag that, I don't know, she only lasted me probably a year her name was Shelly I loved her but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's been kind of no looking back since I got my first horse but I've just been passionate about them ever since I love that that's awesome so I was going through your Instagram today and there was very notably a horse a gray horse that seemed to be very important and I did see a photo or two of a Palomino let's talk about both of those horses and what they were in your life yeah, so the gray horse was Bounder Fame. Um, he was by a stud named Snowbounder out of a mare named Cass's Fame by Dash to Fame. And I bought him through um, Karen Gleason in Washington, and he was a fraternity horse um, that I ran. And I uh, did some fraternities in uh, Arizona on him, and and some in Canada as well. And he was a big 16-2 hand, almost moved like a dressage horse, really, really cool moving horse. Um, yeah, and I ended up selling him to a lady in Texas. So that's where, where he ended up now. And unfortunately, he's retired. He ended up with kissing spine. So um, yeah, he's, I, they're doing the surgery on him. And he's just going to be a really pretty pasture pet that's too bad that's really hard yeah he's, he's got a really good home so at least he's going to be taken care of and then the palomino um he was ygw french jazz and he was by a stud named french guy um and he was also a really nice big 16 hand horse and i bought him from a guy named Kurt Walls in Washington State. And I I did a lot and really good on him at um, a lot of the local stuff here in BC. I didn't get a chance to, to go south on him, but um, yeah, he was pretty consistent. Uh, 1D, 2D horse here uh, locally. And um, I ended up selling him to someone in Alberta, Carmen Pazabon helped, helped me move him. and. I kind of lost track of him, unfortunately, so I don't know where he's ended up, but yeah, both really cool horses. 
That's awesome. With um, the gray horse, did you, how old was he when you got him and did you uh, fraternity derby him or was it mostly open shows? And then let's talk about being stateside um, as compared to even running at some of the Canadian races, what that was like down there for you. Yeah, he was a four-year-old when I bought him and he was, he was kind of behind for the fraternities really, but I did get him going and was able to enter him in a few stuff, a few fraternities in, in Arizona. And I spent a lot of time with him at Kirsty White's place in Arizona. And she really helped me um, get him going. He started really coming into his own for his derby year. And um, he was just a little bit more of a, a late bloomer, late to mature. But once he, he was, he was hot and he ran on the track and, and, you know, he was out of a dash to fame there, so he had all that going and mm-hmm. um, took him a little bit longer to come into himself. But, yeah, he ended up really turning into a nice horse in the end. So um, didn't do anything super well in the fraternities on him. But um, as he turned eight and got a little older, that's when he came into himself. And that's when I thought it would be a good time to sell him. So Yeah, that's a smart move by you. So I, I, I don't keep horses too long. I like to get them young and and as soon as they kind of start doing well, I like to to find them homes. And I really like the young horses. That's kind of my what I find exciting. Yeah, I I quite like that myself. With that was kind of supposed to be my plan with Stella was buy her younger, put some time into her, and then be able to sell her. And then I became way too attached. So you know, maybe one day I'll be able to try this again and actually move the horse and not hold on to them. But we'll see how that goes. So from those two horses, at what point did you decide that you wanted to do Horse Brokers International? Let's kind of talk about that and how that all came to be. Yeah, it kind of just came into itself, really. I've I've always kind of helped people sell horses here and there. And um, a good friend of mine, Tanya Thompson, she had this really nice Beduino bred gray horse and she just seemed to not click with him very well and there was nothing wrong with the horse and I convinced her let's do something with this horse so she sent him to me for some riding and training and and I started riding him and I'm like Jesus horse is just so nice right but for mm-hmm. whatever reason she didn't get on with them so I said let's just list them and sell them and and see what happens so I took some nice pictures of them and posted them on my fa- personal Facebook page and he sold within a couple hours and we were like oh that's awesome right and then someone else saw that I sold this horse so quick and they asked me hey can you post my horse for sale too so I did it was like the next day and that horse sold within like five hours and it kind of just snowballed from there and like I don't know if the market was just really hot or I just had the right people on my Facebook or whatever it was Mm mm-hmm so within that week, I just decided to create a, a page and um, it really just took off and ended up being super successful. And um, as I kind of got out of horses, and I know we'll talk about that later, I did end up, it was hard to maintain doing the broker uh, side of things when I wasn't really involved Yeah. in and showing my face at competitions and and being in the community as much anymore Mm -hmm. um but now being back and and um i'm i'm getting back into the program i've got some cool listings going on right now well that's really exciting um i don't know if you saw i made a video a couple years ago about what it's like selling horses on facebook and i assume that yours your, it probably goes a little more smoothly than, you know, the average person posting on Facebook where, you know, you say you want something specific or you've got something specific and then people ask you the most ridiculous questions like, come on, people. Honestly, like as a, as a broker, when you list someone's horse and, and the client doesn't see all of the crazy messages that you're going back and forth dealing with, they only know when someone's seriously interested that's when you bring the buyer forward right so yeah. in, the, in the middle of it all you're dealing with like 
how tall is the horse? It's listed in the ad. Ugh. Oh, like what does he run on a standard pattern? It's listed in the ad. They just ask like you yeah. know the most obvious questions. Yeah. Um, and so it's very time consuming going back and forth, especially on some of the really popular horses that everyone wants to know about. Yes. Um, yeah, you definitely earn your commissions, that's for sure. No kidding. I feel like some people just look at the picture and then immediately just DM price or start sending the questions, or they're just being snoopy, or I don't know. People, there's an interesting bunch of people out there, and of course, there are some horse people. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of tire biters out there as well. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So when you got out of horses and then you kind of, you know, petered out on Horse Brokers International, why was that? Like, what made you kind of get out of horses? Was it modeling? It wasn't modeling, um, although I was kind of getting into it a little bit at the time. Um, I, my life was just kind of going in a different direction. I was finding myself... Um, spending a lot of time in the city and mm -hmm. the majority of my friends were now in the city and I wanted to travel and um, do a lot more with, with my life and I was so tied down with, with horses for so many years mm -hmm. and I hate to say that like word tied down because when you're like enjoying it and you're passionate about it like it doesn't feel that way but mm -hmm. for whatever reason it just kind of did for me and um, I needed to just kind of see the world so I I sold everything and I moved to Australia for a year and that's how I funded my trip. And I was still brokering horses at the time as well, even being in Australia for that year. Um, so yeah, I did Australia and I did Bali, Indonesia and, and so many other cool things. And then coming back from that experience, um, I ended up just moving straight to the city and I got a job managing a restaurant and um you know life just kind of starts going at such a fast pace and before long years had gone by mm -hmm. five years wow <laughs> yeah so that I, I yeah it was, it was good I needed it yeah you know what sometimes you just need a break and I mean I did the exact same thing my circumstances were different like my horse was lame needing a surgery I didn't have a job I couldn't afford it I had to sell her but so I just kind of stepped away from it for a few years and it was nice to have that break because me too horses have been a part of my life for forever and for a lot of people they are but not everyone can just stay in the game their entire life like I think taking a break can be good for you good for a person and then you come back at the right time like when it works for you so that's really cool that you actually got to go to Australia and Bali and all those other places in your travels what were some of your favorite places uh Sydney Australia was amazing mm -hmm. um I lived there for about three months um and then Melbourne was probably my favorite in Australia I made the most friends there it was super easy to get along with people Australia in general is very much like Canada, mm -hmm. so, you know, when people are just excited to, they hear you have an accent, right, a Canadian accent, and they <laughs> want to know where you're from and, and get to know you, so, yeah, it, it was amazing, and um, I spent a lot of time in Mexico as well, a lot, a lot of my friends and I would do many trips there, I've been to Mexico City and Guadalajara and, and all over Mexico too, so, um, yeah, Mexico is probably a, a good favorite of mine as well. That's really cool. Uh, a friend of mine, he's traveled all over the world, and he said Mexico City was actually one of his favorite places in the whole world. So cool to hear that you kind of say the same thing. Um, yeah, I love that. How, how did you get into the modeling then? So you come back from your trip, or was it during your trip? Or tell us about the modeling, because Charles, a you're a good-looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it was a little bit before I was kind of getting approached by people um, to do a little bit of modeling. But then when I left to go on, on this trip, it obviously kind of set things back. Um, I did get signed with an agency in Australia as well and got to do a little bit while I was there. Um, but it wasn't until I came back to Vancouver um, that I got more into it and I got approached by this amazing photographer 
um, in Vancouver named Jamie Mann, and he wanted to do um, a photo shoot with me, and I was super excited about it, and it ended up getting published, and I was on the front cover of uh, Fantastics magazine um, for that, which was amazing, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and experience, so... Wow. Um, yeah, like, and now I'm not really doing it a, a ton. Um, I, when I was living in Los Angeles, I was actually just about to head to London. My best friend moved there, and this really cool photographer in London um, approached me and wanted to do a shoot there. So I had been training and getting ready for this photo shoot, and literally five days before I was set to leave, the pandemic hit. So um, I didn't get to go, unfortunately, but hopefully, you know, one day in the future, I can get back out there and, and finish that. Yeah, my fingers are crossed for you. That's that's pretty cool. Um, what was what was some of your favorite shoots that you got to do, or maybe even like some of the more ridiculous things, maybe if there was something that you kind of <laughs> laugh at now? Oh my God, yeah. Right, right before I went to Australia, I did a photo shoot and I had to give it a pink bathtub. I had to go into this pink bathtub naked and it was filled with like condensed milk. So you couldn't see. <laughs> you couldn't see like that I was naked because the milk was like white. Mm -hmm. The photo actually ended up pretty cool, but it's just like really funny thinking back on it now. And you're just like, what <laughs> yeah, am I getting into here? Exactly. Um, in LA, I got to do a pretty um, iconic photo shoot on uh, Venice Beach under the boardwalk. Um, so that was probably one of my favorites. One of the shots I got from that was pretty cool. So That's more awesome. of like a fashion style photo shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Did you meet any famous people when you were in LA? I did. I met quite a few actually. I uh, got to meet Paris Hilton at a dinner there. Oh wow! Iconic. Yeah. yeah. Um, went to a couple parties. I went to a party at Stevie Wonder's nephew's place, and Diana Ross's son was there, um, which was pretty cool. Yeah. But you just see them everywhere. And I was managing a restaurant in LA. It was like the new hot spot in town so we would have like Floyd Mayweather coming in I think Mario Lopez came in Lipa. um yeah yeah so, so it's just kind of no big deal at that point you're just like oh yeah that's so and so it's a different world out there for sure yeah no doubt um there's some what is this show that's on Netflix right now it's something about uh what's it called rich Chinese families what is it called? I cannot recall. Bling it. Empire. Yes, yes, that one. So that's what I started oh, watching the other day. It's crazy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So okay, what was your <laughs> yeah. what was your favorite part about LA though, and and your least favorite? Oh geez. Okay. Well, I guess my favorite part was this job opportunity that I that I got and um, being able to manage one of the busiest restaurants in LA and um, everything that came along with that was pretty incredible and just living in a new city on my own and um, I didn't really love LA to be honest no a lot of no not really it's it's hard to make friends there's a lot of people it's such a big city and everyone really cares about who you know and what you can do for them and it's very superficial mm -hmm. um yeah and like you know like as much as like we're talking about like modeling and what famous people did you meet like that's great and all but it's it's not who i am or what's important to me and yeah um yeah like honestly and the crazy thing is i don't even know how long i would have stayed there the only reason i came back was because of the pandemic right and and thankfully this pandemic happened because uh it was really a blessing for me it brought me back to canada and and back to horses so um you know as shitty as it is in a lot of ways like that's one of the positives that came out of it for me 
Definitely. I feel like more and more people, the more reflecting they do on 2020, they are seeing the positives or what was good for them. I mean, a lot of people, you know, couldn't go rodeo this year, but then they turned out and they find that they could actually go do other things with their families or they were getting house renovations or stuff done otherwise. Like, everyone's kind of got a little bit of a positive one way or another through the pandemic. So that's really good for you. And I'm glad, you know, you realize... Like, that just wasn't the place for you, and and it was good to come home. I'm reading even, like, Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, right now, and eventually when, like, the fame kind of took off for him, he kind of noticed himself to be changing and to be a different person, so he'd take off and leave town, and he'd go somewhere completely random and just, like, try to get back to his roots and ground himself again. So not that you were getting fame to your head, but you just knew, like... You just needed to get out. Totally. Yeah. I can relate to that for sure. Yeah. So that's really good. Well, that's interesting. I, I always think that the modeling, like you see all the glitz and glam of Hollywood and LA and all the rest of it. And you're always, I mean, I'm curious. I grew up in our draw So like to hear, <laughs> to know someone that went and did it, I think that's pretty cool. So I like hearing those. Well, hey, things. I grew up, grew up in Chilliwack. There's not much going on out here too. So it's, it's funny to think of like the places that I've I've been and the things I've got to do, you know, coming from this small town, right? And yeah. not everyone gets gets the opportunities that I've had. Yeah, so that's really cool. All right, well let's let's detour off from the modeling and the LA living and let's talk about your you have an epic leader stud colt. So by epic leader out of Kelly's Dark Secret who's by Dark Kelly out of This Girl's Taken by Taken on the Cash. What did you end up with a final name decision on this Colt? Well, it's funny you ask because I literally just today sent in the name change documents to AQHA. And I'm super sad to change his name because I thought long and hard about picking a name for this horse. And um, Epic Secret was the name that I chose. And I was happy about it, but when AQHA sent um the papers back they put epic secrets with an s at the end because epic secret was was taken mm-hmm. um should have done my research a little better before i chose that uh <laughs> so yeah i was i was just super bummed and i just didn't like the s on the end of the name at all yeah it just didn't have the same punch to it for me yeah. so uh yeah anyways i ended up going with epic ruler Ooh, I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good, strong name and sticks with kind of the epic leader theme with a little bit of a twist on it. Yeah, I really like that. And that's memorable. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your future plans with him? So he'll go for training uh, next year to get started. And then I'll probably send him out for... I don't know, like six months uh, to a cutting horse trainer out here. And then Taylor Manning and Shelly Manning have agreed to take him. So he'll go um, to Alberta to their place. And we're going to try and get him ready for the uh, BFA Juvenile. That's very exciting. I'm a big fan of Taylor and Shelly, so I like honestly I know I knew this already because I read this on your Facebook. And when I saw <laughs> that, I did a little air fist pump because I I think that'll be great. Yeah, totally. And hopefully, you know, if everything goes according to plan and if he ends up being as nice as I think he is, then he'll stand at stud. Yeah. So what what drew you to getting him? Like, did you breed to have him or did you purchase him somewhere? And then was, you know, the potential of having a stud always in the back of your mind? Or what's the backstory on that? Yeah, so I've always been really passionate about uh, bloodlines and breeding and everything that's involved in that. And I uh, got to live and work at a place out here and uh, assist with a lot of the embryo transfers and artificial insemination and and all of that. And yeah, it's just something that's uh, been a big interest that I've always had. So yeah, I was kind of like kind of thinking maybe I'd want to get get a stud and, and see how that goes um so i bought him from kathy mowry out of texas 
my search high and low trying to find an epic leader because that's what I wanted at the time there was no other epic leaders in Canada there's a couple uh, other ones now that I see people got from 2020s as well mm-hmm. um, so I wanted to bring that bloodline into Canada um, and got a hold of Cassie she didn't want to sell them but I ended up uh, convincing her and money talks. So yep. <laughs> here he is. <laughs> That's really exciting. I, I'm really excited yeah. to see how he turns out for you. So what, I know you just said you, you're really into the bloodlines in that, but like, what is it that you are looking for specifically when you're looking at bloodlines? Um, you, you're drawn to Epic Leader, of course, but what is it about Epic Leader that you like? Well, he's from, or out of the mayor of Firewater Fiesta, who's an iconic uh, NFR mayor, and mm-hmm. she's been producing a ton of um, top-performing uh, horses and stallions as well. So, um, yeah, that's what I really liked about him. And then Confederate Leader is the sire of um, Epic Leader, and he's uh, been a top-producing sire in the, in the U.S. as well. So it's just a, a proven pedigree of winners like when I'm looking at a at a pedigree um you know I want to see winners on that pedigree that you know have have produced and have high earnings and um yeah yeah top and bottom because mare power is important yes definitely absolutely what are what are some of your other um maybe favorite or like top picks for stallions in Canada right now and even the U.S., like who, who do you look at as a good quality stallion right now? So not to pick like a favorite, but in Canada, I'm a little biased because I have two of them in my backyard. But guys, Casanova Cowboy, mm-hmm. really like him. He comes from Bill and Heidi Robinson's uh, amazing breeding program. Um, yeah, and I'm just loving seeing what he's been producing most of his offspring are still pretty young i think maybe like seven or eight year olds are are the oldest so i think we're really going to see a lot of um his offspring in the winner's circle in the near future Mm -hmm. um and then mixter is the other one that i chose because it's a it's an interesting story with with mixter i was down in in arizona a few years ago and I was watching this mare run at Buckeye, and I absolutely loved this horse. She was a big, beautiful gray horse, and whatever her name is, is I'm drawing a blank on right now. Um, <laughs> That's okay. But she's a lean, a lean leanster um, mare, and she's on Nixter's pedigree. Um, so I was always draw- drawn to him for that for that reason. Um, and then him being a son of a, as good as Nick gets mm-hmm. and as good as Nick gets has always been a favorite of mine as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And the mixer's pretty young too. So I guess time will tell on, um, what he produces, but I think there's going to be some nice ones and my Colt by him is pretty cool looking. So, yeah, that's going to be awesome. I really like that. Um, Canada has I mean we've had really nice stallions before but even more like the upcoming ones I really think that's going to step up the game for the industry in Canada Um, more futurities are popping up I think some more incentives are starting to come up as well Um, so I think we can only go up with the industry in Canada which is great I mean it's hard to follow behind the states there's the population is huge there's barrel racing everywhere so of course they've been a leader in the industry but I feel like we can we can start making some big moves with more futurities, bringing up more stallions and and all that. So that's really exciting. Totally, yeah. There's just so much money in the states behind the breeding programs as well. So yes. it is a little bit tricky to compete. Yes, definitely. So you know, aside from the epic leaders, what other bloodlines do you are you kind of drawn to, and why? Um, some other ones that I like are Tread Space, mm-hmm. amazing racehorse, mm-hmm. um, producing some 
pretty cool winners right now. Tresmovita mm-hmm. is the daughter of, of his. So uh, how can you not like that? Yeah. Pretty excited to see uh, Sandy Ridge's uh, son of his. Yes, I'm the boss. That'll be, uh, yes, I think that'll be one to watch. Um, other bloodlines, Firewater Flit, Love, mm-hmm. uh, Let a Hank Do It, mm-hmm. Dash to Fame, of course. Mm-hmm. Leaving Memories is another one I really like. I've had um, a couple daughters of his. We, we have one now, actually. Uh, really like him. Um, Smart Little Lena, just to throw in a little bit of cow in there. Yeah. Love him. And then, yeah, I can't forget about the uh, Mare Power. So Lady Perks. Yes. Would be one of Rayal Robinson's. That Mare's been an amazing producer and performer as well. Uh, Mulberry Canyon Moon and Firewater Fiesta, of course. Yeah, all solid picks. Really, really good. I got excited thinking about all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What a nerd. Um, What about, you know, okay, so fraternities in Canada, who are some of your favorite fraternity trainers and and who do you like to watch? For, I have a bunch of U.S. top picks here that I would love to talk about. Yeah. Kathy Mallory, I honestly feel like that woman could win on a donkey. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an incredible trainer. I could watch her ride all day long. Um, Bo Hill is another. I think she has an incredible eye for an ho- a horse mm-hmm. and what she looks for in how a horse moves and how the hind leg steps out under the horse. And she really likes those big race bred horses. And she, she, she has a saying that she a lot easier to make a fast horse turn than a slow horse fast. Yes. And that always kind of stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, another is Brandon Collins. Mm-hmm. He had that RR Mistakely horse that he won. I think it's the highest ever winning Futurity horse. Okay. And then the a Cornerstone, he also ran that horse that won everything as well. Um, and Philip Kenyon. Mm, yeah. I think Philip Kenyon is pretty underrated, but Philip's from the Northwest here. I used to compete alongside him in Washington State for years. So I've been watching him ride, I don't know, for over 15 years. And I think he is such a calm, quiet rider and can really make a nice horse. That's awesome. It's a good group of trainers you've got there. I like that too. Totally. Yeah. So, um, you, 2021 is a, you came out of retirement. You're coming back to the barrel racing world and I've seen some videos. So that's pretty exciting. Um, tell us why you, you decided to get back on. Well, I always knew once I moved back and I started buying horses again, that eventually I would be back out competing I didn't have a goal of competing this year Mm -hmm. um but it just so happened that we had this this horse that my sister bought oh I don't know like 15 years ago and um he needed a a jockey so I got to kind of jump on him and been going to a few things on him and he's a pretty pretty cool horse i gotta get my knock the cobwebs off here a little bit but (laughs) once i do i think it'll be good (laughs) yeah i feel you on that 100 (laughs) percent. yeah so i don't have any like big plans for the year and i honestly don't even know with like covid like what the year is gonna look like yeah um so it's hard to really plan much right like we're so close to the the border here so a lot of the big races that we like to go to are are just across the line but that's not an option i don't know if it will be anytime soon so Yeah. yeah i'll probably just be hitting up some local jackpots and having fun yeah, what about uh, heading east and over the Rockies? You think you'll come over to Alberta? Not in monsoon June. Nobody wants to run in the mud, but, you know, maybe <laughs> July, August. 
Maybe. I don't know. Are you guys even allowed to barrel race now, right now, or what's the deal? Um, currently, no. I think we're allowed outdoor gatherings of 10 people. Um, well, there Al- you go. Alberta's really <laughs> on a lockdown. It's pretty crazy right now, but hopefully, I mean, there are quite a few fraternities planned and not as many big races are planned right now for throughout the year but there are still quite a few um one in particular like the big bang it's in sundry alberta um she's had she has a whole bunch of added money up which is really exciting and then there's of course the fraternities and derbies and you know some other added money ones but i think that one would be a good one for you to uh, jump in with someone and come on over to I'll probably make it back to the CBHI in October. I, I went last year for the first time with my sister Megan and had a pretty good time. So I'd like to get to that. Yeah, that'd be um, awesome. But yeah, it's it's far driving over those over those rocks. It's not an easy, quick trip. <laughs> no, I know it's not. Um, for my work, I sell Hoffman's horse products, and so we go to Chilliwack for the main event and. It's quite the haul to go either way. So I feel you on that. Never mind hauling horses. Yeah, so it's like if we're going to go, it'll be like maybe a one-time deal. Once I get some of these young fraternity colts going in the next few years, I'll probably plan it better where I'm going to hit up a bunch of stuff or whatever. But for now, I'm just kind of getting back in the swing of things and having some fun. Definitely. No, that's a really good thing. I like that. So I think that we should definitely touch base on men's barrel racing in general, but also men's barrel racing in Canada. Um, Let's hear what you have to say about all that. Yeah, for sure. Well, let me just start by asking you as a woman what your perception of men in barrel racing is and within Canada. I have never had a problem with men's barrel racing in Canada. Um, I think it's, I would like to see more guys going barrel racing. I mean, you look down to the States or even to Brazil and there's men everywhere barrel racing. I know a lot of people get up in arms because when they relay it to rodeo, um, that women had to fight so hard to have one event in rodeo. And so I understand that. But when it comes to fraternitying or jackpotting, um, I think to see more men in the sport would be great. Do you think that we should get to a place? Because I totally think that men should be allowed to compete at the top level. And I know that people have fought for this. Like Lance Graves took the WPRA to court many years ago to try and Um, get that rule changed where men could compete at a professional level and um, I totally understand the point of um, you know women having to have have fought for the place to compete in uh, many of the events that they're competing in and and that now they are and it's totally embraced and we have Kayla Muscle competing Mm -hmm. with, with the men and you know I would love to see men competing in barrel racing that's why i think the american is so oh my gosh yes amazing because it's such a diverse uh group of people and you have those top male fraternity derby riders that are you know qualifying for the american and it's so awesome to see how they compare to those uh professional women as well yes i absolutely so I don't know, like I'm very back and forth when it comes to rodeo because I know how hard women fought to finally have something of their own. But then at the same time, when it comes to the American, and the American is one of my, it might actually just be my favorite rodeo because I just love the concept of it and how it goes. I love getting to watch the guys compete at AT AT&T Stadium. I think that's the coolest thing. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I really don't know where I stand on it with the rodeo part. But in Canada... Why do you think that in Brazil, the barrel racing is predominantly um, men. I'm not sure, actually. I've never thought about it. I haven't looked into it, if there's like a rule where it's only men that are even allowed to be competing. But if you look at a lot of those world record 16 fives or whatever they're running on a standard now, it's all men and it's pretty amazing. And it looks like it's a totally different culture surrounding mm-hmm. the barrel racing over there and um, I think men in barrel racing is 
viewed much differently in Brazil and in a lot of the European countries where they are barrel racing. It, it is a male-dominated sport, but within Canada and especially Canada, it's pretty much all women. I'm the only guy that competes at a lot of the events that I go to, and it's always so nice to see when there is another guy competing, and I, I would just love to be able to, you know, encourage more men to barrel race and I think for our sport to really grow everyone should feel totally welcome um, competing and I, I've, I've always felt that there's a little bit of a, a view on men barrel racing as it's a woman's sport and it's a you know it's a girly thing to do and I think that's why I've noticed a lot of the men that are barrel racing especially in the states are gay men Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know, like, it's not 100% all gay men, but no. a good chunk of them are, and um, I don't know if that's because they haven't felt um, as welcome in the other ma- male sports or right. or events, sorry, but um, yeah, I think there's just a weird kind of stigma upon men in barrel racing for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't know... I don't know why there has to be that stigma and I don't know does that go back to cowboy culture or what it is I don't know yeah I think that's probably a large part of it from and I think it's it's gotten a lot better yes um throughout the years compared to when I first started and I think there is a lot more men that um are competing but it would be really cool to see you know some way to encourage more men to, to barrel race. I think that's where the Petrodi and Derby part of it comes into play because it's more of like a trainer's um, area of expertise where yeah. you bring a young horse along and and then show it at a, a top level in the Petrodi Derby. So you see a lot more men that are competing in that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've, I've always just kind of felt there's a little bit of a stigma on men in barrel racing. As a male male barrel racer, that's how I've I've felt, and I would just love to see it opened up a little more and have men more men competing and men at the professional level besides fraternity and derbies competing. How you do know, you? If, if, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, how do you think that you could um, try to bring more men into the sport? Well, that's where why I think with the with the whole rodeo thing and only allowing women to compete at rodeos, that's where the stigma comes into play, right? Because it's ladies barrel racing. Right. Next event is the ladies barrel racing. So all the fans that are watching view it as a, a woman's sport right from the get-go. Yeah. So then any man that's looking at getting into it has that kind of stigma on them and people always ask me even oh isn't that just a girls sport or don't only women compete in that because they've only seen you know with the Cloverdale Rodeo or Calgary Stampede or whatever right, right? Yeah. so then I have to explain to them no it's men are allowed to in the open events but just not at the professional level and you know it's kind of discouraging in a little bit so mm-hmm. then they automatically think oh so you're not um, a top rider or you're not competing at the professional level because you're not a wim- woman and you're not allowed to. That's really too bad because then when you look at those other trainers like Lance Graves and like you would consider them professionals at their craft and what they're doing, right? So 100% and they are, right? Yeah. They are professionals for sure, but just not in the rodeo world. Yeah. Well, and then I guess too, it depends on what a person wants to do. I mean, for myself even, like, getting back into barrel racing, like, I really don't care to go rodeoing. I only amateur rodeoed, and I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy showing up and looking at a pen and being like, oh, so today we're running on cement, or just, like, how much the variables of it. I just didn't enjoy it as much as going to an event where I know I can keep the confidence in my horse and go to a fraternity and a derby, and it's going to be good ground and safe and a really good environment that way um but I guess so then for a man who wants to barrel race well 
unfortunately you can't rodeo but is that what uh, you would want to do like for yourself Charles would you want to go in professional rodeo as a male barrel racer or do you kind of want to stick towards more the fraternities derbies and opens yeah for me like I don't really have a desire to go travel down the road a million miles a year um so fraternity derbies and open barrel races is perfect for me Mm -hmm. um but I would just love to see the sport open up and I know there's probably a ton of guys that maybe live in Texas or wherever it is to, to, to um to rodeo that would love to do it and that's why Lance Graves started that lawsuit back when he did right because obviously he wanted to go rodeo and he wanted the chance to run at the nfr yeah Um, unfortunately he lost that that case and was not able to do so yeah and i don't think anyone else has challenged it since then and that was back in like don't quote me but the 90s or something when he um challenged the wpra on that yeah well yeah it's really tough like I can totally understand where he was coming from where you're coming from and then I totally understand where the women's professional rodeo association why they had to have their own association and pushed and fought for themselves to have a women's event too like I hate when I can see both sides of something because I don't know what the right answer is I know it's kind of interesting right because it's almost the same struggle yeah the women had fighting for the opportunity to be able to compete at a rodeo and that's what barrel racing was started for um but i think so much time has gone by and and barrel racing has evolved so much and it's changed so much over the years as well so i think in order for it to be truly a the best of the best professional level I think the best of the best should all be able to compete at that level yeah men or women and men have a disadvantage I think because they're generally heavier than women yeah um when you're looking at a horse race and I'm 200 pounds right (laughs) yeah put me next to Brittany Posey who's you know just little yeah 100 pounds soaking wet like right that horse has to pack an additional 100 pounds around the pattern so yeah no, that's you know. that's a good point, too. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's something to think about, and I don't know if it starts a conversation with people, then great. I'm sure a lot of people will disagree, but maybe some will agree. Who knows? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe what I'll do is after I release this podcast episode, I could um, make a post on the Facebook page and kind of open up the floor for discussion and see what people think about it. After they've listened to the podcast, though, because I want them to hear kind of your side of things and your ideas behind it too I hope that people could at least approach it with an open mind I don't know I mean what else are people doing we're all sitting at home anyway so let's just sit with our thoughts (laughs) and I I totally understand the your rodeo is a very conservative sport not to get into politics whatsoever but it's traditional yes and a lot of that comes into play too and I totally get that and preserving the culture around it and and all of that so I see that side of it too um but hey I think things need to evolve and yeah and hopefully one day we'll get to that place I think we will I think more and more people can kind of open up to these ideas and at the same time okay so what if we did open it up to male barrel racers does that mean that every single rodeo you go to it's going to be the top five male competitors and then the women like no the women are extremely tough who knows like maybe men are don't place like I don't know how it would look how can you tell that but you know it's not that they would completely well, take I over mean, either totally like when you're looking we were talking about the American earlier yeah a man has not won it yet no right so the women are dominating the sport in the USA as far as the American is uh, concerned so hey like they've proven time and time again that they're better than the guys at least when it comes to that that rodeo so why not open it up and you know see what happens totally yeah well I'm excited to watch the American this year and see how that pans out I mean who knows maybe this year is the year totally i I think it could be. (laughs) I'd love to see it. 
I don't even know who's all qualified this year. I just saw it posted on Facebook yesterday, and I was going to save it so I could view it later. Yeah, tag me in it when you see it, when you go over it, because I would like to have a look, too. Usually I keep I track of it. I see there's a couple Canadian girls that qualified. Brooke oh. Wills and Brooke Robertson, I believe. Oh, awesome. Perfect. I think. Anyways, maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of glanced over it and saw them there. Oh, that would be awesome. Or maybe it was an American qualifier I was looking at. I don't know. It was probably an American qualifier. We did have um, a Canadian steer wrestling qualifier, but we, I don't think that we had a Canadian barrel racing qualifier. But... Yeah. Well, I think they must have been down in the States yeah. or something. Yeah, that would make sense. Brooke yeah. is down there right now. Um, right. Brooke Wills. So, yeah, that'll be fun to watch her. See who else is there. It'll be good. Yeah, I'm obsessed with Brooke's horse. Oh, my gosh. Me freaking too. She's so cool. She's so gritty. Like, she just wants to turn. She's hunting that barrel. It's insane. Yeah, she is freaking badass. I would love to see Brooke make a go of it in the States this year and um, try to make a run for the NFR. I'm not sure if that's her plans or anything, but I would love to see it for her. I think that must be what she's doing is hitting as many rodeos as possible, but there's not many to go to. No, that's the hard thing. In talking to um, some of the guys, um, like Levi Simpson or... um, Curtis Cassidy, um, yeah, they they were going to rodeos in places that they haven't been in ever in the entire time that they've been rodeoing because if there was some small rodeo that came up, they would they would go to it because they had to. So oh, interesting. So they might be traveling like a little further because there might be some small town in the middle of, the, of nowhere that's able to put a rodeo on. Exactly. So that's where the points are. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Do you think with you coming back to barrel racing, you'll become more involved with Canadian barrel racing this year? Um, yeah, maybe. Like, I, you know, I help out at every race that I go to, and um, it's hard not to. And even, like, through the years of not being officially involved, I'm always helping out. And a lot of the posts that my sister publishes – I actually wrote them or whatever. Yeah. Um, like we we help each other out for sure. I would never just you know leave her in the dust completely. No. She she might say otherwise, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to touch base on, Charles? I think we got it. Unless you have any more questions. No, I think I think we've crossed all my questions so that was really good well thank you so much for coming on the podcast i really appreciate it thank you for having me you betcha okay take care bye